Our Father, we we are humbled again to consider that you would ask us to come boldly to the throne of grace to receive from your good hand that which is according to the riches of your goodness and grace. Father, we do come boldly, first of all, with great thanksgiving to you, um, that you are the one who is sovereign over this world. There's only one mediator, not many. Uh, There's only one true God, not many. Many are called gods, but are not gods at all. And you are the only one, Father, and we worship you and only you. So, Father, I thank you that you've uh, gathered us here in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And may you and he be honored today in our meeting. A number could not be with us for various reasons. And I pray that you'd bless uh, all of us as we seek to live our lives in these days, uh, not in fear, as many are, not in fear, but confidence in you and in uh, the glories of your grace and your good care for us. Father, I, I pray for our president and our leaders uh, under great trial, not only federally, but state and locally, to do that which is right, to do that which makes sense, that it's reasonable, to do that which will really benefit our people and not harm our people in the short term or long term. Father, I pray that you give our president and those that serve with him honorably such great wisdom that they'll know how to guide and lead this great nation. Father, I pray that you'd still deliver us from the evil one and his his work. And this virus, which is part of his work, Father, we pray that it would be thwarted and uh, that we'd be uh, raised above it in uh, your good timing. That it might be something from the past I pray, Father, that you'd enable our people to survive these difficult times, times of uncertainty, times of concerns, uh, financially, uh, in families, uh, concerning the virus, and with friends and associates that we can't even meet with uh, as we would have otherwise. So, Father, I just pray that you would work this all out. Pray that the branches of government that have a direct influence would do that which is right and not that which is evil, which we see so often even in our Supreme Court uh, in these last weeks, even recently. Just amazing things happening here in our nation. Father, we're waiting on you to see how you will work, and uh, we just thank you that we have this confidence. I pray that you'd open your word for us this morning and uh, that it might be a great blessing. In Christ's name, and amen. Amen. All right. Um, we have um, the opportunity to continue today in Paul's first letter to Timothy. One thing about our time spent in the Thessalonian letters that I can testify regarding is that God blessed me greatly in studying those letters in a special way. And and I pray that uh, that's been true for you and also true for you now as we've opened up this new letter. There are some words there in uh, the first chapter that stand out really to me. And that's in, in verse 3. And then in verse 4, he says, As I besought thee, now this is written to Timothy, the first letter to Timothy. The the circumstances were very challenging for him there, who seemed to be pastor and elder there in the church at Ephesus. And what he writes there in these first words there, just after the uh, salutation, he says, As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus, when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which minister questions, rather than 
and as I've pointed out several times, the dispensation of God, the one which is in faith, so do. So the false teachers were not teaching. Absolutely in no way were they teaching what Paul had already taught these believers in Thessalonians. They were false teachers because they were not teaching the dispensational plan of God as Paul had. They were not teaching grace. They were teaching some kind of religious system based on works. And uh, all we know about it is what he he's written there in verse 4. Fables, or really stories, myths, stories, and endless genealogies. <laughs> that one we really don't understand, uh, though there are historical examples of this um, that have come down through history. Even today, there are groups that, that focus in on what they call genealogies, which are really just uh, made up inventions of the evil one. It says here they minister questions. In other words, there are no answers given. Uh, just questions abound. Rather than the teaching that does edify, right? Uh, the teaching which is according to God for today, the dispensation of the grace of God. The one which is based on faith and not works. We're saved by grace through faith alone, Paul writes. We're not under the law, but under grace, right? So false teachers were not teaching that, and therefore they needed to be uh, prevented from continuing their teaching somehow. And so Paul sends Timothy this letter in order to encourage him, because it does seem and we read about that also in the second letter. It does seem that Timothy was timid. Think of Timothy as timid. He had a, a weakness. He was timid. Uh, he was restrained, too, too restrained. He was not very uh, uh, committed, it seems, at least at this point, to going into warfare. And it would be a spiritual warfare. Uh, of a great proportion. And uh, Paul knew that, and that's why he wrote to Timothy in the way that he does. Now, how does he exhort Timothy? He exhorts him, first of all, by reference to himself and to the God who saved him, right? And he, he sets forth himself the way uh, he was set forth, right? <laughs> Says he was counted faithful, and it does say also here, and the key verses are verses 15 and 16 in chapter 1, which I'll read for you again now. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Now, in a battle situation, who is the chief? He's the one in charge of the forces, right? Traditionally, although I doubt that's true today, traditionally, the one who was chief was the general in charge or the, uh, the one who had that responsibility, having had it delegated to them by the one at the top, right? Uh, and he would go first. How many kings died in battle? You would have thought, well, they surely would have stayed home at the castle. Why would they get right out there in the front line and ride a horse, even uh, maybe a white horse? And yet even in our own nation's early wars, this did happen, right? George Washington used to ride a white horse, right? <clears throat> um, generals went first. That's what this is talking about, of whom I am chief. Paul is really saying not that he's the greatest sinner. That's a ridiculous statement indeed, I think. But that rather he had to go first into battle, right? Uh, why? Because Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Somebody's got to go out and wage the battle, right? The enemy opposes 
the message of grace on every side. So Paul is saying that he's been set, sent forth first, and then in the next verse, uh, he just explains it further, really. It's the same thought. Verse 16, Howbeit for this cause I obtain mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long-suffering or a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Again, that here the word translated chief, the previous verse is translated first, which is really what it means. First in order or in the sequence. Okay, so Paul was chosen out by the grace of God and uh, saved that way. And uh, then it was in him that Jesus Christ might show forth all long-suffering, and that also is for our emulation. It's a pattern, it says to us. So we're also called into the battle, and uh, that means we will suffer accordingly. Well, this reminded me of a hymn. It's a great hymn by Thomas Chisholm. Thomas Chisholm uh, wrote this great hymn, and uh, these are the words. Who can number his generations? Who shall declare all the triumphs of his cross? Millions dead now live again. Myriads follow in his train. Myriads follow in his train. Victorious Lord, victorious Lord, victorious Lord, and coming King. Uh, those are the words in the refrain there of that great hymn. He was wounded for our transgressions. And hope that you know that hymn well. The line that really stood out for me is myriads follow in his train because that's exactly what Paul is writing about here. Following in his train, Paul was following in Christ's train of victory. And we are also to get in line and follow him. Okay, well, that brings us to our scriptures for today, which are great scriptures indeed, uh, in mostly in chapter 2, but I want to start in chapter 1 of 1 Timothy. And uh, let me give you the outline. It's, it's interesting that it's all about our exalted Lord. <laughs> so everything is in the context of our exalted Lord Jesus. And first of all, his honor and glory will be revealed forever. That's uh, the, the verse that Roy will read. Our, our exalted Lord's honor and glory will be revealed forever. Secondly, our exalted Lord's glory was held in contempt by the false teachers. <laughs> they held his glory in contempt. <laughs> That's incredible to consider, isn't it? Uh, thirdly, our exalted Lord's desire for all is their eternal blessing. Our exalted Lord's desire for all is their eternal blessing. And lastly, our exalted Lord's commission for Paul is to be apostle of the Gentiles. The Lord's commission for Paul to be apostle of the Gentiles. So it's all about our exalted Lord's honor and glory and uh, what he wants for us all, right? And what our response to that must be. So first of all, our, our exalted Lord's honor and glory will be revealed forever. So Roy, please read that. We looked at the verse last time a little, but you'd read for us 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 17, please. Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you, Roy. Unto the king eternal. So I said our whole 
teaching today was based on our exalted Lord's honor and glory. What does it say here? Now, unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. I pointed out last time how I think that that's the break point here. It's sort of the <laughs> the peak of the mountain, right? We're traveling over the mountain. We have to get to the peak to get to the other side. That's this verse. Now unto the King eternal. So this is the king of the ages. Of what ages? All the ones that the Lord God has planned out in his grand eternal plan of redemption, right? The king eternal. Immortal, that means he's not corruptible in any sense. Mostly the focus is on moral corruption, but any form of corruption. Then he is not visible, invisible. Um, God has never been seen, but he has revealed himself through the Son. Okay, important distinction. God the Father has not been seen by the eyes of man. And uh, then the only wise God. It's not saying the other gods are not wise. <laughs> uh, the point is that only God is characterized by such things as this. Uh, the wisdom. Wisdom speaks of his eternal plan. And uh, if you do a little word study on that, you will see that. So there's much to be learned there about the wisdom of God. We did look recently at some other scriptures in that regard. One was in Romans 11, uh, the last verse is there. One was in 1 Corinthians 2. There, you, you will remember that uh, Satan and his forces, his uh, emissaries, uh, and even the rulers on this world who submit and follow Satan, they would never have crucified the Lord of glory if they had known what they were accomplishing, that they were actually accomplishing the redemptive plan of God through Christ. What an amazing thing, huh? If they had known the wisdom that was hidden, they would never have crucified him. Okay, this truth establishes the context for everything here. And we'll see that as we go ahead. So now the second thing, our Lord's is exalted, his glory is exalted, and but that was held in contempt by the false teachers. And that's basically what he says right here in these next verses. So, Linda, would you please read those verses, verses 18 through 20, 1 Timothy chapter 1. This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which some have put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck, of whom Hymenius and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Thank you, Linda. Now, that's a strong exhortation. In fact, the consequence of it would be really quite incredible, especially for um, Timothy being sent into this battle, right, against these fierce warriors. He gives the names of two of them here, Hymenaeus and Alexander, right? And uh, he says a number of things here that I think are important. Uh, we're kind of going to skip past it quickly, but notice it does mention... Um, that he's charging Timothy. Timothy, there, there's no option here, Timothy. You are set there for a purpose. It is the purpose of Almighty God. You've known about it for a while. In fact, he's reminding him, really, that there were prophecies given when Timothy was put into the ministry. There were prophecies given about, oh, about what, you might wonder. Well, I'm sure about what was yet to come and how Timothy would be called to sacrifice very much on behalf 
of the purpose and plan of God in Ephesus. Okay, so such it is with pastors. They're, they're given great responsibility. Uh, but in this case, even prophecies that uh, I'm sure were <laughs> something that Timothy couldn't forget. Maybe he wanted to. He was a timid man. He might have wanted to forget them and just kind of uh, turn aside from the battle, from the fierceness of it, from the, the risks associated with going into that kind of warfare. But uh, he had no choice. And Paul is basically telling him that. And he says, holding faith in a good conscience, which some, having put away concerning the faith, have made shipwreck. Uh, it's concerning the faith. So Timothy is to have faith and uh, to move ahead boldly and thereby to have a good conscience regarding the work of God in and through him. But he says the others, Hymenaeus and Alexander, They've abandoned this. They do not have faith. They do not possess a conscience free of, of uh, condemnation. And they've, they've put even aside. In fact, that's the word used for divorce, by the way. <laughs> a man is not to put away his wife, right? You remember that? from former studies uh, here or elsewhere, right? And so these have divorced themselves from the faith, right? What is that? They've made shipwreck out of it. Imagine that. So they held in contempt the very exalted Lord and his eternal glory because Timothy is the one set forth to proclaim that. And these are seeking to destroy Timothy, right? Paul says he's delivered them unto Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. And I think that would be a pretty hard school to be entered into. It would be much worse than thinking about a virus or something like that as your enemy. Uh, here, uh, they're going to be taken over and dominated by Satan, or so it seems, right? There's much behind these words that we cannot understand and don't need to, but just need to know how serious this was, was going to be, right? So really what we see is that um, the true faith that had been made shipwrecked by these false teachers needed to be reestablished, right? Uh, the ship needs to be re launched and launched properly it's been on the rocks there in Ephesus being battered by the winds uh, under Satan's control and uh, under the uh, direct uh, influence of these two men hereby mentioned by name right okay so this is an illustration though if we want to apply this to our world I mean we certainly should see applications where there are applications that are appropriate. I mean, we are living in a very difficult world ourselves. There are enemies on every side. You all know that that's true. The enemies uh, are at the gates, as it were. But will we realize that and wage spiritual battle, or will we respond like I think Timothy had, which is to turn aside, try to avoid the battle, uh, hoping for a better day to come, right? Uh, and not, therefore, suffering the, uh, what, slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. <laughs> Someone wrote long ago, right? Uh, okay, so that's the situation in our world, and we know it well. It's been so in every age. Satan wages a long war against God, conflicting it to whatever extent he can with the work of the living God, the work of Almighty God. And so today, living under the dispensation of the grace of God and the working of grace, we see Satan opposing that 
on every side. But will we defend it and will we live it? Uh, that's the question. Okay, the third point then is our exalted Lord's desire for all is their eternal blessing. And this is a, a great scripture indeed, isn't it? And it's very practical because Timothy's circumstances were quite dire, you could say. I mean, it, it was a dark time indeed in which he was living and ministering. And so prayer was most appropriate and prayer of the right sort. And so, Lisa, please read these words to us about prayer, verses 1 through 4, chapter 2. I exhort thee that, first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. Thank you, Lisa. So even in this world where satan rules remember he is the prince of this world there are kings and rulers in submission to the world system they're part of satan's domain um, satan and his demons are ruling in this world however the lord god interferes with satan's plans ever so often right and uh, even though they demand total control over the hearts and the minds of, of all, uh, God nevertheless is working out his grand plan of redemption, right? And he even uses these rulers for his own purposes. <laughs> and that's something we've, we've uh, studied before, and we certainly know much about it, having spent over two years in uh, our studies in the long war against God. Well, there's something here in these verses, though, that I think uh, needs to be taken note of. And that's that, you know, we often may think that, uh, and it's been well expressed in that saying that came down through church history, but the saying is, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Okay, that's been uh, uh, repeated so many times, and it is true that God works even under the darkest of circumstances, right? The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. It's been very true even in more recent times in certain parts of the world. And I'm thinking of China, for example, because the, uh, the house church movement in China was has been a very big thing for many years. I mean, as long as... as uh, in the last century and today, as long as the communists were ruling even before that, when there was a civil war going, um, the churches were, house churches, nearly always, they were being persecuted greatly and many were uh, killed as martyrs, right? And that was the seat of the church. There's probably far more believers in China today than uh, than here in this country as a guess. I'm just guessing, but that's what I would probably be willing to guess. Okay, but what does Paul say here? He doesn't say pray for hard times because that way the church will abound and grow. He says something a little different. He says pray on every level and often with thanksgiving for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority in order that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. In other words, that's a wonderful thing, right? If there's a time when you're not caught up in warfare, and that has been the common lot of many down through the centuries, right? But uh, if there's a time of quietness and peaceableness, as he describes it here, when, when we may live 
in the realm of all godliness and honesty, right? That's a great thing. Now, why is it so great? Well, because it gives us opportunity to mount a considerable outreach to the lost, right? And think about all the missionaries being sent forth from this country, right? They were sent forth with the wealth of the land supporting them going into the entire world, right? That was only possible the way it, on the magnitude it was because we didn't have war here in this country. We had peace and safety in a true sense, not in the sense that Satan might bring it, but in a true sense. And that was a wonderful thing. He says here, it would be a good thing indeed. Pray to that end. Why? Because God wills that all men be saved and come unto a knowledge of the truth. So that's the ultimate work of God, the salvation of sinners, right? Now, we have to distinguish here between the will of God in two different senses. It's the expression, the will of God, is used in Scripture in different ways. There are two main ways it's used. In one case, well, it's really three. In one case, it's talking about the ultimate plan from eternity of redemption, right? The will of God. Uh, but also, it's used in two different senses, and we have to distinguish the two. In the one case, it is the determinative will of God that is referenced. In the other case, it is the desirous will of God. There's a big difference between determinative and desirous. Okay. Uh, and Paul writes about this in really many places in language that uh, sometimes challenges the theologians a bit and the teachers and preachers. But there are different words in the Greek language for these two ideas. I won't go into that now. I don't think we need to today. But it does say here that God wills. That means it's his desire. He's presenting, he's present, presenting uh, Christ as the uh, sacrifice for the sins of the world. He's willingly, he willingly sent him forth, right, uh, to become our Savior, and that has been accomplished. And uh, so he has a desire that he doesn't actually demand and require of every person. And so not everybody is going to be saved in the end. Hell will be populated. There's no question about it. You can read about that in the book of Revelation and elsewhere. Um, there's a verse that I always think of in this regard. It speaks about the opportunity that many have and our opportunity to reach out to them with the words of saving grace. And that's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19. 2 Corinthians 5, 19. To wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. So, uh, yes, much was accomplished on the cross regarding sin, but now uh, every sinner stands before the Lord as one needing to be reconciled, right? Uh, hmm. You see the two sides of the coin there. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. But now he's committed unto us the word of that reconciliation. Okay, so really, why does anyone ultimately end up in hell? It's not because of their sins. It's because of something greater. Indeed, it is their rejection of the precious good news of the grace of God. Okay, so. We must conclude that the Lord God desires all to be saved, as 
he wrote also in the previous chapter, verse 15, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Okay, now the last uh, thing to consider here. And that's our exalted Lord's commission for Paul. Our exalted Lord's commission for Paul was to be apostle of the Gentiles. Why is this so important? Well, if he's the first, if he's the leader of a new order of those saved by grace alone and suffering the consequence of that and then passing the mantle on to others like Timothy and then finally down to people like us, right? Uh, if that's the case, then we need to know for sure. There must be no doubt in our mind that Paul was sent by the Lord God for this great purpose, right? In other words, he writes and speaks with authority. If that's not the case, we're in real trouble, are we not? Okay, so let's, uh, Patty, Patty, can you read for us uh, those verses that make that so clear there? First Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 through 7. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle. I speak the truth in Christ and lie not, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. Okay, so... There's no question about it. Paul makes uh, these statements in the strongest possible language. Here he uses the word ordained. <laughs> that means to be set forth, to be appointed by God, right? Okay, so he says there's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all. There's the word all again, right? to be testified in due time. And Paul is ordained to be the one who testifies, right? Uh, at the <clears throat> at the top, from, from the mountaintop and uh, down into the valleys, his voice rings true. He's a, he was ordained a preacher and apostle, right? Now, the false teachers were denying that Paul was an apostle, you know. And so he says, I speak the truth in Christ and lie not, right? In other words, he is speaking with the full authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he adds a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. Well, this is something that Timothy is never to forget, that Paul is going first and Timothy is following along afterwards, okay? And uh, so Paul writes, I would say, very powerfully in all of these verses concerning, first of all, who Christ really is. And there are three times now we've seen this. Once was a faithful saying earlier and then and another one and now this, uh, right? as to who Christ Jesus truly is. One mediator, he paid the full price for our salvation, right? Uh, he shed his blood, and uh, it was considered acceptable by the Lord God to pay the penalty that all owed. So for every sin, past, present, and future, all put away, right? Um and this is now going to be the lifelong calling for Timothy, and he will need to be very bold in spiritual battle. Why? Because the true Christ must be presented. Timothy is the one standing on the line there, okay? Leading the forces. And Paul 
is the one who's sending him forth in this letter, right? So Paul, again, emphasizes who he was in reference to who Christ Jesus truly is, right? And Timothy falls in line after that. And uh, so just like in that hymn that I uh, read a while ago to you, uh, I'll read it again. The great hymn, He Was Wounded for Our Transgressions by Thomas Chisholm. You might want to read the background of that. It's a very interesting story. Who can number his generation? Who shall declare all the triumphs of his cross? Millions dead now live again. Myriads follow in his train. Victorious Lord, victorious Lord, victorious Lord, and coming king. Praise the Lord for his wonderful grace. So are we going forth to battle? Do I hear many amens? Amen. <laughs> amen. 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 Well, welcome all. And uh, if you have any questions or comments or testimonies, it's a good time for that. The battle looms out there all. Enter the fray. We're set forth. The, the verse that comes to my mind in that context of Romans 8, God be for us, mm. who can be against us? Amen. Um, yeah. That... Uh, we need not live in fear of what man can do to us. Yeah. We have an eternal hope in death. I was just wondering what your feeling is uh, churches closing, not having services uh, because of this uh, virus. Mm -hmm. I, I just... Uh, I, I, I don't know. I understand obeying the law, but on the other hand, I just don't know if that's what churches should be doing. Well, that's a very good question, Linda. Unfortunately, last week, again, the chief justice sided with the liberals in the court and declared that the state does have power to shut down worship. John Roberts turned against the clear wording of the Constitution again, you know. Um, but that doesn't mean we have to comply, right? And whether the church is meeting in a building or it's meeting in a home, you know, even in meeting in the homes, it has been shut down in California. Even house church meetings. I think that's mayors who are doing it. I don't know about the, uh, I, well, it may also be the governor. I'm not really sure of that. But, yeah, I just wonder how long Christians are going to continue uh, obeying the law on this. I think it really puts us in a, a, a real conflict uh, with uh, what we believe yeah. the word of God and uh, yes. obeying those in authority. I, this is, I think, a far bigger conflict for Christians than most Christians are really thinking about. I agree, Linda. It really is. And ultimately... Life is a great risk. Patty and I talk about this a lot. Life every day is a risk, right? Are we willing to enter into the battle or are we going to turn aside? Now, clearly we have to choose our the skirmishes carefully, right? Right. <laughs> According to the grand strategy, which we see in the word. And, uh, and yet... Uh, we do need to live uh, faithfully. I, you're absolutely right. It is a very big challenge. But imagine it getting much worse because it very easily could be. It's been getting worse, right? Um, where will we be in a year? And uh, Well, I just wonder if maybe some of the uh, Christian leadership isn't waiting to see what happens in November maybe before they make a stand on anything. 
Well, that could be, but I doubt it. I think they're weakened. Yeah. Well, I didn't want to. I didn't yeah. want to think that. But you didn't want to say that. You didn't want to. Uh, okay, Linda. But I said it for you. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, some, some will speak out. There's no question about it. And even now, I'm sure they are. But a great many who are held and maybe improperly held in high esteem are not speaking out. In fact, they're on the wrong side, and they're even on the side of the revolutionaries. What a sad, sad day, huh? Any other comments uh, or questions today? Jim, I was just uh, talking to Lisa about uh, some of the scriptures, you know, and you talked about how this country in its um, wealth was able to send out so many missionaries, you know, because mm -hmm. that's where it comes out of it, that abundance of our um, yes. blessings and things like that. But it's so true that uh, as we move away from that capitalist system and we move more towards socialism, you know, will there still be that wealth and that abundance? Will there still be people whose hearts are oriented towards uh, getting that message out as opposed to just yep, wanting to stay home and be fed, you know, by the government and have their needs met uh, from a different source? You know, it's so, so mm -hmm. interesting. It really got yes. us thinking. Yes, uh, it's very true. And uh, we we do know, I mean, it, it's not a requirement. It doesn't always happen. But we do know that wealth and abundance often leads to the wrong thing, right? We do know that it, it leads to uh, satisfying the flesh often. But it need not. And for believers, at least, we've often... Uh, seen that as an opportunity to help others, right, and to send forth missionaries. Uh, we all, I'm sure, here in our group believe in that, in sacrificing to uh, benefit those that are willing to give up these comforts in order to go forth uh, many times to suffer, suffer very greatly, right? E even in some cases to death. Uh, for the sake of uh, getting the message out to those that otherwise are not hearing it. So, yeah, without the wealth of this nation behind it, um, I guess one question might be, will, will missionaries still be sent forth? I mean, I... I am sh sure many missionaries will still go for it. There are good examples, by the way, uh, in history. Some of those missionaries who are held high and and uh, we think often of, uh, one that I, I always think of is Gladys Aylward. Well, she went forth with no support, okay? <laughs> and uh, others have done the same, quite a few. I mean, countless, really, have gone forth no support. I mean, in our day, we think of churches and church boards, mission boards, all this. They, they, in fact, they, they're in a denominational framework. They send forth missionaries to go forth on the mission field. You, in fact, to even be accepted officially as a missionary, you have to have gathered your support. That means you've already gotten commitments by churches and individuals sufficient to meet certain needs that the mission board has established, right? Well, it's all rather uh, artificial, to say the least. In harder times, it would be far less organized, I'm sure. Many would still go for it. But one thing I think we never should forget, in fact, uh, the church largely has forgotten it, I think, the organized church, but we're individual missionaries. We must see ourselves that way, right? And that's missionaries to those around us. And if believers were effective in that, we would see the church growing in, in ways that are quite visible, I'm sure. And, uh, you know, we would see uh, the hand of God at work. But if the church is weakened sufficiently and <laughs> individuals are focused on good works, but not on the message of grace, then what will you see, right? What will you see is what you might expect. 
Yeah. Okay, any other comments uh, or questions? These are great comments. Uh, anything else, anyone? Well, let's let's go to the Lord in prayer then and Thanksgiving. Father God, thank you. Thank you for gathering us today. It's been a great blessing to gather around your word opened before us this morning. And we know something about, not enough, but we know something about what's happening in the nation. And uh, we also know what our response should be uh, and uh, I hope will be to those who will seek to shut down the testimony of your grace. They're already doing it, Father, in various ways, but they cannot shut it down entirely because they cannot silence us, at least not if we will take to heart the truth of your word as we've seen it this morning. So, Father, I, I pray for each one in our group, uh, for those especially in very difficult times where they do not know where to turn or, or uh, even how to resolve the issues that face them in any way. They're, they're just totally dependent on you, Father, and they know that. And I pray, Father, that you would bless them in that, encourage them, strengthen them, give them healing in all the ways that they need that and that you would uh, lead them out of that time of trial, if that be your will, Father, and purpose, and that you would lead our nation out of this time of trial, if that be your will and purpose. And we'll just wait to see how you will work. But, Father, we will keep listening for the shout, the voice and the call into heaven's glory. We will listen and uh, love your appearing, I would hope, Father for your honor and your glory. In Christ's name and amen.